Well, good evening. Merry Christmas. Mm. I'm Jeff Eckstein, one of the elders and pastors here. It is uh, such a pleasure to welcome you here this evening. I think uh, probably two dozen of you asked me where my Christmas suit was. I figured it, uh, it had, um, had, had used up its life, uh, worn it to three different events, and so I figured this evening I would uh, dress a little bit more appropriately for you. You're, <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> oh, welcome. It is truly a pleasure to be here this evening. It's uh, such a pleasure because I love Christmas, and uh, maybe... I'm making up for lost time since I grew up in a Jewish home. You know, maybe it's because while you were all decorating the tree, I was decorating the Hanukkah bush. Maybe while you were looking out for good old St. Nick, I was waiting on Hanukkah Harry. Maybe you were all going to sleep with dreams of sugar plums in your head while I was trying to overcome heartburn from too many latkes. Perhaps you were decorating the tree while I played dreidel, you sang Christmas carols while I tried to figure out what a red rose reindeer had to do with anything. So I love Christmas, and the truth is I've always loved Christmas, even when I was a child. I love the crisp weather. I love the anticipation of snow. I love giving and getting presents. I love the holiday spirit and the notion of families gathering together to celebrate. I always loved the Christmas break from school, and I certainly loved the cool gifts my friends got that they wanted me to play with. And even though I was a little Jewish boy, I loved that little baby Jesus and the story of his birth. Who could not love that story? A young couple wanders around a bit, and that's something that my Jewish ancestors know something about, until they come to a home where the mom gives birth to the beautiful baby in a manger. Skip, can you put up that picture? Yeah, as, as Skip and I were going over this, he goes, now, do you think they had digital back then, or do you think this was the old negatives? It's a great picture. But who wouldn't love this story? Who could take a look at this picture and not say that they thought it was really neat and touching, and what a cute little baby? Even this, this little Jewish kid could go for that. But the point of Christianity isn't this cute little baby Jesus. All too often, the message of Christmas is missing the most important part, Christ. It seems kind of odd, but it's true, and tonight I pray that the message will touch your heart and perhaps challenge you to view Christmas a little bit differently as it has me. Let's pray. Father God, I am so thankful for this evening. I am thankful, Lord, that we can gather together and we can proclaim your name, that, Father, that we can come and we can just join together in celebrating the most incredible gift that was ever given. Our minds can't possibly comprehend the fullness of what you did, but you loved us enough that you sent your only son in the form of a little humble baby. Father, I just ask that each one who is here, Lord, I know that there is nobody here who is by, here by accident, Lord. They are here because you have called them. And so, Lord, I ask that you would just move in their hearts in a powerful way. May ears hear, may eyes see, and may hearts truly yield to you this evening. Father, I just ask that you would do the amazing work that only you are capable of doing. And I ask, Lord, that you would fill me afresh from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. 
that, Lord, every cell in my body and fiber of my being would scream out the glorious name of Jesus, for, Father, that is the only thing that matters, not just in Christmas time, but, Father, each and every day. And so, Lord, let your word, your truth go forth in power and in victory this evening. Let's give you all the praise in Jesus' name. I truly love that song. It's a reminder of what Christmas is truly supposed to be about. All too often we get wrapped up in parties and presents, running around and spending more money than we have to get things that nobody really actually needs. Tonight I thought we would do something a bit different. We aren't going to be focusing on the baby Jesus We won't be looking at the manger or the shepherds or even the wise men. We won't be speaking about the star of Bethlehem or whether Jesus was in fact born on December 25th, which it seems clear that he wasn't. The reason we won't be spending time on this is because although it's interesting and fun, it has very little to do with our faith in Christ. Now, I don't mean that if you have faith that this means very little. It means that if you don't believe, it means very little. Christmas, unfortunately, has taken on a new meaning for the world. It's no longer the celebration of Christ, Christ Mass. That's what Christmas means. Christ is Christ and Mass is a celebration. What it's turned into is Mimas, a celebration of me. What do I get? How much are people going to spend on me? How am I going to be shown as important and valued? And not only is this antithetical to the very meaning of Christmas, it's not even helpful to who we are as decent human beings. Let me ask you a question. Do you remember what you got for Christmas last year? How about the year before? How about when you were a child? Do the presents and the money spent mean anything? How about the time spent trying to find that perfect gift, fighting the crowd, searching online, and getting frustrated that they don't have what you're looking for. Somehow our hopes and our dreams this time of year are things that we think can be wrapped in a box and a big bow can be placed upon it. And the world tells us that this is the way that it's supposed to be. And it seems to work for a second or two until that person who we work so hard to find the perfect gift actually opens the present with anticipation that we will be seen as the perfect husband or father or friend or brother crumbles under the weight of unmet expectations as the gift is unwrapped and you get a, hey, that's nice. That's nice? Are you kidding me? That's nice? I'll give you that's nice. That's how we feel. We've all been there. We all have experienced this. It comes from our failed expectations. We expect that someone is going to appreciate the gift. We give them more than they actually do. We will expect that we, of course, will receive that perfect gift, for we clearly have been dropping enough hints about what it is that we want. But all too often, that doesn't work out either. What we expect to see is this. Skip, can you put up the picture? Hmm. Not adorable? (laughs) But way too often we get this. (laughs) It's true, right? Sometimes perhaps even more than we like to think about the unmet expectations of a particular present or a gift are the unmet expectations of others. 
We just want everybody to get along. We want to be respected by our family. We want an unappreciative relative or friend to finally say, thank you. Perhaps this Christmas season you find yourself feeling alone. Perhaps this Christmas is because somebody close to you has passed or a broken relationship is the reason. Maybe you feel scared or angry about how your life seems to be going. Sickness, financial stress, loss of a job, whatever. Well, I'm here to tell you that no Christmas present you can buy in a store will resolve any of these issues. The problem is that all too often we give the wrong gift on Christmas. The best gift is so valuable that money can't buy it. It's so incredible that a box can't contain it. It's so beautiful that a bow can't compare to it. And it's so powerful that battery can't power it. And yet we so often, all too often, we completely miss it. That gift is Jesus Christ. And although we don't deserve him, the Bible tells us that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Father loved us so much that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to come and show us the way to eternal life. That little baby, Skip, can you put that picture back up? He is the gift. Each year we demonstrate the gift that Jesus is. You know, you can't buy Jesus, although I think all too often the American church is trying to sell him. We can't earn him, although far too often we try to earn it. And we can't make Jesus, although we see a made-up Jesus all over the place. Jesus is just Jesus, and he's free to those who will receive him with open hearts, to those who will come to place their faith in him and trust him to take over their lives. He is not just a gift. He is the gift. And to demonstrate that, I have $20. Who under the age of 10 would like this $20? Right there. Come on up. First to raise your hand. Come on. And what is your name? Caitlin. Caitlin. And are you really under 10? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Very good. Well, here you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> She's adorable. <laughs> she was quick, too. <laughs> so the question is, did she do anything to deserve that $20? No, she didn't. All she had to do was come and get it. Faith is like that. All we have to do is come and take it. But we need to understand more about faith before we just come out and take it. Faith in Christ doesn't start with the story of Christmas. Faith in Christ starts with one simple question. Who do you say he is? The New Testament records an amazing interaction between the disciples and Jesus in two of the Gospels, both Matthew and Mark. We put up the Matthew 16, skip. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you, he, that being Jesus asked, who do you say I am? 
such an incredible and powerful question. Who do you say that I am? Jesus isn't telling them who he is. He's asking them who he is. And the truth is, he's not just asking his disciples. He's asking you and he's asking me. Who do I say that Jesus is? Now, his disciples had been with him for several years. They had listened to his teachings. They had witnessed his miracles. They had walked with him and talked with him. And yet, he was asking them the most profound question that's ever been asked. Who do you say I am? So who do you say that Jesus is? Your answer and my answer to this very simple question It changes absolutely everything. But before we get too far into the second question, I want to take a look at that first one. Who do people say I am? What is it that others are believing about me? That's what Jesus is saying, is asking. The answer to that question are very interesting. Jesus was clearly seen as something more than a simple carpenter from Bethlehem. He was recognized as something and somebody special. He was compared to John the Baptist, understood to be a modern-day prophet, as well as the prophets of old, a man with something to say, someone to be listened to. In the same way, we are called to ask the same question. Who do others say that Jesus really is? The claim of who Jesus is, we know, are many. Some say Jesus is God in human body. Others say a great prophet, teacher, and healer, but certainly not divine. Some say he's a fictitious character, and others believe he is irrelevant in this modern day. And others still say Jesus is the one who will make you fabulously wealthy. So lots of people will tell you that they believe about Jesus. There's lots of Jesuses that are out there. It's interesting to me that people in people will often tell you how much they dislike religion or that they find the church distasteful or say that Christians are haters, but they like Jesus. Jesus seems to be co-opted by nearly every cause. Here's a list of those Jesuses that I've adapted from a gentleman, Kevin DeYoung. There's the patriotic Jesus who is wrapped in our flag, thereby the assumption is that all that we do must be blessed by God. There's the political conservative Jesus who is against the budget increases and stands for family values and owning guns. There's the liberal liberal Jesus who is suspicious of Wall Street and Walmart, yet passionate about being tolerant and green and reducing our carbon footprint. There's Starbucks Jesus who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversation, drives a hybrid, and goes dumpster diving. There's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except, of course, for people who are not as open-minded as you are. There's touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster and jump higher and seemingly determines the outcome of Super Bowls. There's Hollywood Jesus who is meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing blonde hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a sash and looks like the guy from the 70s musical Jesus Christ Superstar. Then there's the Beatles Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance, imagine a world without religion, and help us remember that all you need is love. There's yuppie Jesus who encourages us to be happy at all costs and tells us that bigger is always better. There's the martyr, albeit misguided Jesus, a good guy who died a cruel death, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. 
There's spirituality Jesus, who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrine, and would rather have people finding the God that is within us all. There's the revolutionary Jesus who teaches us to rebel against the status quo, to stick it to the man and stick it to the system as long as it doesn't inconvenience or impact my life. There's guru Jesus, a wise, inspirational teacher who believes in you and simply wants you to find your path to be the best you. There's good example Jesus who shows you how to help people and to change the world. And lastly, there's the lone ranger Jesus who is all about First and is all about first and foremost meeting my personal needs, my personal wants, and my personal desires, preferably right now. We can easily get focused on what other people believe that we forget to ponder our own answer to the most important second question Who do I say that Jesus is? What is it that I believe about Jesus? In his book, Man, Myth, and Messiah, Skip, can you put that up? Rice Brooks, who also wrote God's Not Dead, writes the very salient topic of who was Jesus. Was Jesus a historical figure who actually lived? Was he a myth made up to motivate people who were oppressed? Or was he the promised Messiah? Now, growing up, I was told that Jesus was a rabbi, a good teacher, a moral man, but not the Messiah. I accepted this interpretation until one day I went to church. It happened to be a Father's Day service. I wanted to go since we were invited by some friends, and it was my first Father's Day. And I figured if they wanted to celebrate me, I was good with that. But I didn't find out how good of a father I was on that day. I found out how good a father God is that he would send his only son, Jesus, to pierce eternity, to become flesh, to show us the way to have a relationship with him. God became flesh. The Bible tells us that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. That was Jesus, and he became flesh and dwelt amongst us. I was blown away, and right away my perception of Christ had to change. How could he be a good teacher, a rabbi, perhaps a prophet, and yet also proclaim to be the Messiah if he wasn't. So he was either a liar or a lunatic, but he couldn't be who I thought that he was. He said that he was the Messiah. Who others said he was, what they believed him to be, came crashing into the reality of me asking that question of myself, who did I say he is? So how did that question get answered by the disciples? Skip, can you put up Matthew 16? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. I imagine that after Jesus asked the question, there was a moment of silence, perhaps glances between the disciples as to who was possibly going to answer this question. Was it a trick? But then Peter, in his role as the spokesperson, as, the, as he generally was for the others, finds words for what was going on in the silence when he says, you are the Messiah. As I imagine it, Peter did not say that with any sort of ironclad certainty at this point. Rather, I think his words bespeak the aha moment 
that they were all having, the moment in which they came to realize that this man, their friend, the teacher, their rabbi, the one who literally and figuratively had them drop their nets and come and follow them and leave their families, that he was something new, the long-awaited Messiah, the one who was to come to save Israel. And once that word tumbled from Peter's lips and it was out there among them, it changes everything. They move from being a band of friends and followers into the life of discipleship. And in the second half of the gospel reading, Jesus gets serious with his disciples about what that life will require. And it's no stroll in the park. Their lives will become cross-shaped if they stick with him. Marcus Borg, a well-known biblical scholar, has written something that I find compelling when it comes to pondering this question. Borg wrote this, For those of us who grew up in the church, believing in Jesus was important. For me, what that phrase used to mean in my childhood and into my early adulthood was believing things about Jesus. To believe in Jesus meant to believe what the gospel said about Jesus— That was easy when I was a child and became more and more difficult as I grew older. But now I see that believing in Jesus can and does mean something very different from that. The change is pointed to me by the root meaning of the word believe. Believe did not originally mean believing a set of doctrines or teachings. In both the Greek and Latin, its root means to give one's heart to. The heart is the self at its deepest level. Believing, therefore, does not consist of giving one's mental assent to anything, but involves a much deeper level of oneself. Believing in Jesus does not mean believing doctrines about him. Rather, it means to give one's heart, oneself at its deepest level, to Jesus, who is the living God, the side of God turned towards us. So who do you say he is? Do you realize that the answer to that very question affects your eternity? It is only by and through the revelation of who Jesus truly is that one is saved. The real Jesus was revealed to Peter and the disciples on that day. Skip, can you put up 1617? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus' reply, which is amazing, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, For this was not revealed to you by man, but but by my Father in heaven. Who was it who did the revealing? Father. Jesus said it wasn't flesh and blood. There isn't anything that I can say or anything that I can do to reveal who Jesus is. That's why we have so many Jesuses. Everyone makes up their own version. Some flesh and blood person tries to reveal it. Jesus says it's his Father in heaven. God reveals God. Truth reveals truth. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, testifies the truth of who Jesus is to us. In Revelation 3, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Do you hear Jesus' voice? Will you open the door? If you hear your voice, his voice, 
if you answer the door and if you answer that question as Peter did, then everything changes. Everything must change. This is the part that all the other fabricated Jesuses leave out. You can join the cacophony of voices calling on Jesus for all sorts of selfish gain. But here is where the fake Jesus gets separated from the real Jesus. Just a few verses after asking his disciples who they believed that he was, Jesus says these remarkable words in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If you say that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ, that he is God, that he is the King of kings and Lord of lords, that he is the Savior of the world, that he is the good judge, and that he is coming again, then your life has to change. Like the apostles, before Jesus was revealed as the Messiah, they were that band of friends, students of a good teacher, a wise rabbi. Afterwards, they began to their true work as disciples. Their goal stopped being about what they got out of this relationship with Jesus, and it started to begin to be about expanding the kingdom. They asked themselves the important question, what is God calling me to do? What is his purpose in my life? Not, what's my purpose for me? That's what it means to deny oneself. Jesus denied himself. Jesus sacrificed himself for you and me. If you don't understand that, if you don't see that, if you don't hear Jesus calling out, I implore you, stop pray and listen. Come talk to me. Come talk to one of the other elders or pastors here. Our desire is is that we walk with Christ. That we become devoted followers of the living God. Who do you say that Jesus is this Christmas? If he's a little baby in a manger and a reason to give presents and drink eggnog, you're missing the greatest gift, the true joy that we celebrate. But I pray that you and I, that we all recognize the Jesus that the disciples did that day. That we can all say with one voice that he is my Messiah, he is my Christ, he is my King. He is my Savior. He is my Lord. That's who I say that he is. As I ask now the um, folks to to come forward, we're going to have the uh, worship team back up here. And as they come up, and we uh, do our silent night Song, I would just ask, as this song is playing, that you would pray that the Lord would be revealed 
in a new and a powerful way. If you don't know him, let this be the moment that you truly come to that faith in Christ. Skip, if we can put the lights down.